We turn in God's word this morning to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. We dealt with the first part of Matthew 1, last Lord's Day, going through the genealogy up until and through verse 17, looking back on God's covenant promise through those generations as that promise uh, exemplified itself or showed itself or revealed itself in different ways to different people at different times, and yet it is the same covenant promise. Matthew now, in the latter part of Matthew chapter 1, tells us how that promise now is fulfilled. So we pick it up at verse 18, and we'll be reading the Matthew section of our text for this morning at this time, and then later in the service we'll be reading from Luke 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we read it, we it's so familiar to us, yet, Lord, when we ponder it, how can these things be? And how can, if Joseph obeyed your word, Lord, may we also believe wholeheartedly all that you have written in your word. And we thank you for the birth of this son that gave us the gift of salvation. Be with Pastor Bob as he preaches, Lord, and may we be fed your truths in this day. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So Sandy and I have been listening to uh, a series of devotionals uh, on the Advent, and one of the things that uh, the speaker uh, has been pointing out is how the whole story of the coming of Jesus is set in the providence of God. Um, a couple of days ago, he, he spoke about the fact that God had to move Mary and Joseph approximately 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God has to get this couple who live up in Nazareth 
down to Bethlehem. How does God do that? Now, what, what is it? Now, you think of all the different things, you know. Somebody could have sent out a notice. Hey, we're going to have a family reunion in Bethlehem. Come. You know, uh, you're responsible for baked beans. Bring them down. Right? But look at what God did. God had the emperor of the entire world issue a proclamation. This is God's means. I will move the heart of the strongest man, the most powerful man, the most influential man in the world to issue a decree. Because my purpose is to move this man and this woman to Bethlehem in time for her to deliver the child to fulfill the prophecy. But of course, that's just one, right? The proclamation is issued in the providence of God, not just for one couple in Nazareth, but for every single solitary individual in the world. God had a purpose for so doing. Well, this morning, I'd like us to consider another aspect of the coming of Jesus Christ. Why Mary and Joseph? Why them? Now, to help you think about this, let's set the following scenario. Some of you have young children. You have children, some of you who are not yet in school or have just begun school. Some of you have two or three of those. Some of you have a few more of those. You, you have young children still under your care. Have you thought about yet what happens if both of us as parents were to die? What would happen? You go out for a date night. And somehow or another, you stay out and some drunk driver crosses the center line, runs into you, and you both are killed. There is your couple of young children, maybe three, maybe four. What happens to them? Hey, have you made provision? Who's, who's going to raise them? Who, who's going to be in charge? You're just going to let in-laws fight over this, become an ugly mess, and your kids are raised in the midst of all that bitterness and divisiveness? Where have you made a plan? Well, let's suppose you have that discussion. And now the discussion is, okay, who are we going to pick? Who are we going to pick to raise our children? Might be easier, right, to figure out who you're not going to have raise them. There's probably some people who are automatically off the list. But how do you, what, what do you look for? Do you consider family first? Is, is that the priority? Well, it's got to be somebody within our family. So somebody. 
You know, you're, you're, you're unwilling to step outside of that. You, you want them within the family. But then what's the next question? What, what kind of characteristics are they going to have? What, what kind of people do we want our children to be raised by? What kind of values do we want that, those people to have? We might even ask in our day and age, what kind of resources do they have to raise our children? That's a somber question, isn't it? It's almost horrible that the pastor would raise that question, right? But yet, it's a reality, isn't it? It is a reality. It's a stark reality. That Oftentimes, people do have to face. There, there is that question. Did it ever stop you to pause and to say, to a certain extent, God faced the same question. I'm going to send my son into this world. He's going to enter this world, not as a fully grown man, able to take care of himself, he's going to enter this world as a baby. Who do I want to raise my son? Who, who in that world that's down there, full of sinners, who in this, this crowd of people, who in this mass of humanity am I going to give my child to? Well, there were some parameters that God had set, right? There, there was, there was a, a given parameter that it, that it has to be somebody within a certain family. It, it automatically ruled out all sorts of couples that perhaps could have been the potential couple to, to raise his son. But God, over the course of time, had set parameters. And so we talked, first of all, about the lineage that we had, again, in Matthew chapter 1, right? The, that becomes an important aspect. Who is it going to be? Who is going to raise my, my son? Who am I going to give my son to? Well, they have to have the right lineage. And so we read that Joseph, for example, is a descendant of Adam. That's not in the Matthew 1 account. It's in the Luke chapter 3 account. He has to be a descendant of Abraham. Well, Joseph fits the bill. He's a descendant of Abraham. Well, the person I choose to raise my son also has to be a descendant of Judah. Descendant of Judah. Joseph was also a descendant of David. In fact, the, the passage we, we read, that's what the angel addresses him with, right? Joseph, son of David. As if that, that's calling attention. Hey, I'm talking to you. Not because you're Joseph. I'm talking to you because you're Joseph, the son of David. You're in the right line. 
There is a lineage here. But yet, you know, Joseph isn't the only guy at this particular time who's a descendant of David. There's probably a couple of hundred guys who could fall into that category. It's not like, oh, I'm stuck with Joseph. Got to use Joseph because he's the only one that fits that. No, there's all sorts of men that, that we could have their name here. And yet God did not choose them, even though they come from the right line. So why else then? What else might be going on as to a reason why it's Joseph? Oh, I know, it's in the providence of God. But yet, in the providence of God, he could have chosen others, but he didn't. God, before the foundations of this world, chose as the human father, as the human parent of Jesus, a man by the name of Joseph, who, yes, is going to be in the right family. But is it because of the right characteristics? Who do you want to raise your child? Who, who is it that you would choose? Are there not some qualities you would look at as a parent and say, these are the qualities I want in the person that I'm going to choose to raise my son, to raise my daughter? Isn't it interesting that in Matthew chapter 1, that which stands out about Joseph after his lineage are the characteristics. Who am I going to give my son to? My only son. This is my son whom I love. He's going to proclaim. Who is going to raise him? Do you think God didn't care? Do you think God just, well, I don't care who it is that raised. He's going to turn out okay. He's going to be obedient. He's going to be perfect. After all, he's my son. I just don't, I don't care. I'll just give him to anybody. Let's just pick a name out of the hat. Oh, it's this guy. wonder what he's going to be like. No, I think there's a lot of thought, a lot of care, a lot of planning, a lot of grace, a lot of purpose. Look with me then in Matthew chapter 1 at verse 19. We have Joseph mentioned, and what are we told about him? Her husband Joseph being a just man. Well, that's a characteristic. Joseph was a just man. Some of your versions might read righteous man. It means it in the judicial sense. It means it in the sense that there has been a declaration in the eyes of God that this man is just. This man is a man who's right with God. He is in favor with God. He is in favor with God because living as he does in the Old Testament here, he is right with God in and through the one who is going to be the son that's going to be given to Joseph 
meaning Christ. But how is that displayed by Joseph in the Old Testament, even before Jesus is born? What is he doing? What, what does it mean Joseph is just? Mean he's been faithful to the law of God. He's been obedient to God's law. He has sought. He has striven. He has strived for. To be the man that God desires him to be as we read through the Old Testament. He is faithful in sacrifice. He is faithful in worship. He is faithful and obedient to that which God has declared. He's a just man. God considers Joseph just. Perhaps in our modern day, the way of thinking about this would be, would you ever consider your children to be raised in your absence by an unbeliever? Would you ever turn your seven, five, three-year-old over to an unbeliever to raise them? Or, or would one of the things you'd want on the list to be, no, they have to be a Christian. They have to be a believer. I want my children to be raised in a believing home. That's what God did. I want my son to be raised in a home where there is faithful obedience. Where I can see the man's heart. And the man's heart, I declare to be righteous. Not because of perfect obedience, no. But because of the provision of sacrifice that God has given. But what else emerges? And her husband Joseph, being a just man... And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What do you learn about Joseph from that verse? Not only he's a just man, but what else? There's something about Mary going on, isn't there? He is unwilling to expose her to a public shame. God wants his son raised in a family. Where the husband thinks more of his wife than he does of himself. Isn't that an amazing thing? This is the family God chose. Joseph is a loving man. That's what that phrase, he's unwilling to expose her. To public shame. There's no shame for him. The shame is all going to be hers. Whether we use Deuteronomy 22 or whether we use Leviticus 20, it's all on her. She's pregnant. There's an obvious sign. This isn't even one we're going to need to have some big court case. It's just show up to the elders, look at her. I didn't do it. Stoner. Public mockery, public shame. Regulating her to a life 
of shame and guilt for the rest of her days. But Joseph doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to make this public. Yet you see, he's caught. He's a just man. See, there's been enough of this problem in his family. Whether it's Abraham and Hagar, whether it's Judah and Tamar, or whether it's David and Bathsheba, there's been enough of this stuff in this family tree. He is a just man. We don't need another one out of this tree, family tree, wearing the shame and guilt of another strange pregnancy that has to be explained. He's caught. I don't, I'm a just man. I'm seeking to live this way. Can I be branded with this shame? On the other hand, there is a heart of compassion, a heart of caring, a heart of love, a heart of understanding in Joseph that says, I don't want to put Mary through all of that. Let's not do this publicly. Let's just put it to the side as quietly as we can do. Verse 20. But behold, as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. God's provision. It's okay, Joseph. So what does Joseph do? He obeys. Third characteristic, obedience in the face of personal loss. He's an innocent man. He didn't get her pregnant before they were legitimately fully married. He didn't do it. But what does he do? He takes the shame on himself. He bears the shame. For the rest of his life, people will be going, <laughs> we know what you did, Joseph. We know. Yeah, yeah, tell us this story, but we know. He took the shame upon himself. Who did God look for to be the earthly father of his son? Do you see it? Do you see who God chose? He chose the one who was going to be that which his son did. He took upon himself the shame. He himself, being innocent, took on the shame of another. Is that not exactly what the child that was given to them was going to do on a much more grand scale? He who had no sin became sin for us. Who does God choose? <laughs> a just man, a righteous man, a loving, a caring man, an obedient man. 
Verse 24, and Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He called him Jesus. Obedience in the face of personal loss is the man that God says, this is the man, this man Joseph. That's who I want to be, the earthly father of my son. But Joseph has one more characteristic. He's a courageous man. This is no timid. This is no weakling. This is no cowering man. This is a courageous man. Luke or Matthew chapter 2. Joseph, get up. Take Mary and the child. Get out of here. Go to Egypt. What does Joseph do? He goes. You know how courageous that is? The king is after the child. The king is seeking to destroy the child. And what does Joseph do? He courageously, obediently follows that which he is told to do, and he goes down to Egypt. And we might go, oh, he just goes to another country. Folks, do you understand how difficult this is? The guy's not rich. The guy's not wealthy. He's got some trinkets from some wise men, but technically they do not belong to him. He's got to move his family through the midst of that opposition. Don't think for a moment that Herod isn't smelling out in all sorts of areas what's going on. How do you think Joseph felt as he's taking Mary and Joseph and they're going through the night and here comes a soldier on horseback? Well, sir, what are you doing? What are you out so late at night for? The courage of this man. The courage not only to go to Egypt, but the courage to return. To return where? To Nazareth. To actually have to face all the ridicule, to face all the point. Who's, who's this little boy? <laughs> well, this is Jesus. Oh! Yeah, now all the fingers start wagging. But he goes. He is a courageous man in the face of opposition, in the face of ridicule, in the face of scorn. Continues the journey. Do you see it? Do you see it again? You see the child that gets raised in this man's home? Not a weak savior on a cross, but a courageous, powerful savior who endures the shame for you and me. See, it's not just, ah, anybody will do as the, my kid will turn out okay. 
Now, there's some thought. There's some planning. There's some purpose. There is a reason. It is Joseph. God places him in the family that God has planned from before the foundations of the world. It's got to be Joseph. But it also has to be Mary. Go with me now to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. Who does God choose? See, it doesn't just happen. It's not by chance. Nothing in this world is by chance. It's all by the providence of God. Because God is sovereign. It has to be that way. So why Mary? Is it just because she's the one who's betrothed to Joseph? Well, no, because the betrothal to Joseph is by the hand of God as well, is it not? This is God's work, too, in bringing Mary and Joseph into this engagement phase, we might say. How did all that happen? God doesn't tell us, but we know it's the work of God. It's the providence of God. So why is it Mary? Why is it Mary that comes upon Joseph's eyesight? Why is it Mary that he selects to be his bride? But then ultimately, why is it Mary that God selects to be the mother of his own son? Well, nothing is said about the line of Mary. The line, the lineage, is always associated with Joseph. Some tried to extrapolate and try to make it sound like maybe Mary was out of that line too, but I think you got to do a lot of extrapolating because it's pretty plain every time Joseph is mentioned, son of David, son of David, that's where the emphasis lies. 
Who would you want to be the mother of your children? What kind of characteristics would they need to have? Would it be okay with you to have your child raised in a home where the father was a Christian but the mother was not? Would that be okay? Do you think that would be a good situation to leave your young children in? What does God do? Well, listen to what we are told about Mary. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored one. One who has been given favor. One who has been endowed with. With what? Favor. What's favor? Grace. One who has been given grace. One who has received grace. The Latin Vulgate that uses the expression full of grace means that she is the one who has all this grace and God's just taken notice of this wonderful woman who has all this grace in her. It's where Rome goes awry. It's not the grace that is inherent in her. It's the grace that has, she has been favored with. It's the grace that she has been given. What is a person who has received grace from God? A believer. He chooses one who is a believer. One who has received favor. From the Lord. Undeserved favor. Not earned. In that respect, she, she's in the same position as is Joseph. Who is also considered righteous. Why? Because of something he has done? No, because of something God has done. She is favored. Because the Lord is with you. The Lord's presence is that which is with Mary. See, God doesn't give his child over to somebody that the Lord is not with, that he is not present with. He gives his son. To someone that he is there with, indwelling, present with. And notice how humble she is. Notice this humility before the Lord. We could note it in terms of her fear. She was greatly troubled, and the angel says, do not be afraid, and there are... There, the natural way to understand this is the fear at the presence of the angel, which I believe is there. That is what is going on. She is afraid because of the presence of the angel. But why is she afraid at the angel's presence? Because the angel represents that which is holy. And in the presence of an angel who is holy, that comes from the presence of God, 
His holiness is not holy in and of himself. His holiness as an angel is that which is given to him. The glory of an angel is not that which he inherently possesses in himself, but is that radiant glory of God. Recognizing herself then to be a sinner, what do you do? You fear. Because you recognize that it is only by grace and by grace alone that you live. She is humble. But notice her words at the end of this section. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the Lord's dole. I am the Lord's slave. Humble state. She is submissive to the Lord. That which you have said, Lord, that which you have declared, that is what I will do. You realize what a huge undertaking she is taking upon herself? Put it this way. Do you want the person that you're going to choose to raise your children to be arrogant, prideful, thinking, well, of course you'd pick me. I'm the best thing there is. I'm the best fit for your children. I am the one who is best capable of raising your children. Is that the person, I mean, really, is that the person you're going, yeah, I'd like my child to be raised by somebody who is so full of that kind of confidence? Or do you want somebody who's going to say, really, you really want me? You want me to raise your child? You want me to care for your child? You're entrusting me? It's a great honor, but I'm really humbled by this. This is Mary's response. Now, this is quite an honor. Wow, me? That submissiveness to the Lord. She doesn't know at this point in stage how Joseph's going to respond. She might be raising this child as a single parent. But I'll do it, Lord. She's going to face all sorts of scrutiny. And look at the answer she has to give. How many people do you think are going to believe this story? Well, you see, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and this is really, well, we don't really need to go any further, do we? How many people do you think are going to believe this one? She's going to live with it. But I am submissive. I am willing to do that which you call me to do. A fourth characteristic. 
she's not only humble, she's not only submissive, she's not only one who is favored by the Lord, but she is grateful for this. She is grateful for this. Let's go back to the people you select. So you have them over for, you know, and nice dinner, and you're sitting around the dinner table, and you say to them, you know, I got, I got, I got, we got something we want, really need to talk to you about. We, we've been thinking a lot about what do we do with our kids should both of us pass away. And, and we've kind of decided we'd like you as a couple to, to take them over. Now imagine if the response were this. Oh, thanks a lot. Huh. Wow. Thanks for the burden. Wait, did you give any thought to this one? Would you second guess yourself? <laughs> well, maybe we need another dinner party. I'm not sure this is going to work out. What about if the response is, thank you. Thank you. My heart is filled with joy. If this were to be the opportunity. Listen to Mary. Verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. What an amazing statement. Her gratitude is seen, is it not, in, in the, those two statements. My soul magnifies the Lord. To magnify, to make great, in spite of her circumstances. She desires to declare the greatness of God. Now, you can't make God any greater than He is, right? It's not like we as mere human beings take God and because of what we do... We make him greater. God is great. You can't make greatness any greater. What's she doing? She is magnifying the greatness of God. How? How do you magnify the greatness of God? If God is already great, how do you magnify that? Well, you and I see him as great. The faithful see him as great. But what about the unbeliever? See, what Mary is saying is, it is my desire that in this whole circumstance, in this whole event, others might see not the smallness of God, not the littleness of God, but that they might see the greatness of God. And I will do so. I will do so by rejoicing in that which God is doing. I will rejoice in my circumstance. I will rejoice in my calling. I will rejoice in my opportunity to be the Lord's servant. I will rejoice in this. And in my rejoicing, I will seek to have God be magnified. 
Perhaps that's where we have to stop and reflect upon this in our own selves. Is her song our song? Is that the, the theme of your life? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Maybe that's the call of Advent this year for you. In the midst of these circumstances. Right? In the midst of our situation in this world today. Maybe God's call upon us is to do that which Mary desires to do. To magnify the Lord. To rejoice in God our Savior. To realize that God is indeed sovereign. As Dr. Tim brought before us last Lord's Day. In the midst of COVID, God is sovereign. In the midst of a pregnancy, through some certain unusual means, God is sovereign. And I rejoice in the sovereignty of God. I desire to magnify God in the midst of these circumstances. I think too many of us have been Eeyore. We got our heads down. We got frowns. We're disgruntled. We sound angry. We sound upset. Do you think there's somebody here who could have had that attitude? Who does God select? God selects the mother of his son to be somebody who in the midst of even dire circumstances turns to him and says, my desire is to glorify you. To magnify the Lord in our worship, in our witness, in our families, by our lives, by our death. To magnify the Lord. To make Him great before the world. And to rejoice. Who did God select? Who did God providentially bring? Joseph. And Mary. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's bow. Father, thank you for your word and for its reminder this morning from these parents Lord, we marvel we marvel at this account all over again you didn't give them to a king and queen you didn't give them to the wealthy you didn't give them to the proud, to the arrogant. And you didn't give them to the unbeliever. You gave them to Mary and Joseph. Father, may we, as Joseph of old was obedient to your word, may we live obediently. As Mary rejoiced, may we rejoice. And may we live 
even in this season, in this climate, in this atmosphere, with a desire to magnify the Lord our God. And His name, God's people say, Amen.